0: A Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. Welcome back in the event that you have been staying away for a little bit until your confidence level came back around about the Buffalo Bills. But this is the week where perhaps the people will be excited again, perhaps the mafia will will be excited again because the Buffalo Bills have defeated the Seattle Seahawks in a resounding fashion, and that's good enough to get the engine revving of more than a few members of Bills Mafia. As we always do on the Thursday episode of the Bruce Exclusive, we are going to tackle the narratives that have come out of this game, some that have been sort of simmering around social media and the team recently since the game, and some things that I think are important to talk about. So let's dive right in. The first and most important thing to talk about is the resounding response of Bills Mafia to Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills revealing that Josh Allen had lost his grandmother prior to the game. At the time of this recording, Bills Mafia has responded In honor of Josh Allen's grandmother by donating over $300,000 to a local Kaleida Health Children's Hospital. Consider me unsurprised. It's just what Bill's Mafia does. There are plenty of times when Bill's Mafia isn't always looked at positively in the national spotlight. I think that there is still somewhat of an idea that there are drunken idiots setting themselves on fire and throwing themselves through tables. And that's all that Bill's Mafia ever is. And that's all that Bill's Mafia ever will be. But the Andy Dalton scenario, the Chicago situation, the Tennessee Titans situation, this situation proves over and over and over again, not even mentioning the Pancho Villa response that Bill's Mafia had. Not even to get into that. It proves over and over and over again that Bill's Mafia is so much more than what they think of us. So I tip my hat to you. I tip my hat to the Mafia. And things like that, are so much more important than everything we're going to talk about for the rest of this podcast. So let's make sure we start with the important things, the things that matter a lot more than a bunch of people running around in matching costumes, throwing a ball. Well, on that note, let's talk about a bunch of people running around in costumes, throwing a ball, specifically the one that just happened a few days ago. I think that this is an interesting narrative buster game for, I think, a lot of us. And if we don't pay attention, we will continue to utilize these bad narratives unless we take a moment to stop and recognize that they're ludicrous and utilize the Seahawks game as evidence to the fact that they're ludicrous. Let's start with this one. Sean McDermott. Wants to win games 19 to 14. That's the way he prefers to win games, and he's not comfortable with anything else. Sean McDermott has said multiple times over that this is a passing league. Brandon Bean has said this is a passing league, it's a quarterback driven league. McDermott not being aggressive? Okay, blitz heavy game plan on defense. 16 knockdowns on Russell Wilson. More knockdowns of any quarterback that has ever happened in 2020 happened in this game. On offense, pass heavy game plan. Pass, 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 pass. 38 throws a week after running it 38 times because that was what was necessary a week ago. Now they're passing it 38 times. I was expecting to see a redo of the Chiefs' defensive game plan. That is not what we saw. Instead, we saw something that was more akin to the Arizona versus Seattle game plan that happened in the second half and overtime of that game. Send five when possible. Send four often, but... If you must send four as frequently as you'd like to, send a different four via zone blitz and muddled front. Try to get free rushers. Try to get one-on-ones and do that by blitzing AJ Klein 17 times and occasionally having Jerry Hughes and Mario Addison drop into coverage so that there's a chance you get one-on-ones and free rushers. You don't have to generate pressure by bringing five and six. You can generate pressure other ways. And they clearly did not want to play a ton of games up front with a mobile quarterback like Russell Wilson. So what did they do? They generated pressure different ways, specifically through the zone blitz. McDermott had a very aggressive game plan on offense and defense, even after Russell Wilson... Beat the coverage for a deep passing touchdown, it still did not shake the Bills out of their belief that being aggressive on defense was the way to go. When you combine that with what has happened to the Bills in regards to throwing on first down, I don't want to hear Sean McDermott's not aggressive anymore. He's too conservative. We, we think that that's the case because that's how we remember him from 2017. But people change. Sean McDermott has changed. Sean McDermott did what he felt like he needed to do in 2017 to win and make the playoffs. But he wasn't throwing it 35 to 40 times a game like they are now. Now they're doing that because they have a guy they believe is their franchise quarterback. And they know it's a passing league, and they have weapons, and they're going after it. Stop saying Sean McDermott is an overly conservative coach. He is not Dick Giron. If you say Sean McDermott is Dick Giron, you're not paying attention. Sean McDermott is not Dick Giron. So that's the first narrative buster. Let's go with another narrative buster. Brian Dable doesn't adjust. A lot of people say Brian Dable doesn't adjust. They use that as kind of a a catch-all for some of the poor third quarters that you've seen from the Buffalo Bills. Brian Dable doesn't adjust. Both the Bills and the Seahawks came out with pressure-heavy game plans. Guess who started to hit the screen passes first? Was it Josh Allen and Brian Dable? Or was it Brian Schottenheimer and MVP candidate Russell Wilson? Which one of those offenses adjusted faster and started hitting the screen passes? Spoiler alert, it was the Bills. The Seahawks didn't adjust to the Bills' pressure as fast as the Bills adjusted to the Seahawks' pressure. Brian Dable and self-scouting tendencies showed up in this game. At the goal line, Josh Allen had a run-pass option play that was based on the idea that people know When they game plan against the Buffalo Bills, that the Bills like to spread out the defense and run quarterback draw, maybe even zone read at the goal line. But this time there was a pop pass option behind it. That is good coaching. That is good offensive game planning. In addition, fun little stat. The Bills in 2020 just became the 13th team in NFL history to record 20 or more first downs in every single one of their first nine games. The last two teams to achieve that made the Super Bowl, 2018 Rams, 2017 Patriots. Brian is a good offensive coordinator. At some point, at some point, we're going to get it. He's not perfect. He's made mistakes. We've talked about it on this pod. Specific decisions I didn't agree with. But if you look in the totality of the evidence. You cannot brand him as a bad offensive coordinator. You just can't. If you do. Then at some point you decided. Before that happened. That he was a bad offensive coordinator. And everything after that is just reinforcing the bias. That's just the way it is. He's going to make. Bad calls. Sean McDermott is going to make bad calls. And we're going to talk about them on this podcast when that happens. Because that's fair. But you can have those things. You have to have a lot more of those things than the two of them do to be a bad head coach and a bad offensive coordinator. I'm going to need to see a lot more bad things based on all the good things that I see. Seattle did not defend Allen. The way the last couple of teams have done so. Brought a lot of cover zero pressure. In the second half. Josh Allen mentioned it himself. According to PFF. The Seahawks were in cover zero. For 11.8% of their snaps. And cover one for 33.8% of their snaps. That's a lot of man coverage. For a team that was decimated. In man. That's an issue. So. We got a chance to see Josh Allen do the thing that so far during 2020 Josh Allen has done, which is absolutely light up a team who decides to go man against the Buffalo Bills. Does this answer the question as to whether or not Josh has learned how to play well against zone? No, I don't think it does. I don't think that question is still answered yet. But to me, it reinforces that the first four weeks weren't a fluke. The first four weeks were just what Josh Allen does against man now. That's just the thing he does. That's just what Josh Allen and Brian Dable do against man coverage. So just don't do that against Josh Allen if you're a defensive coordinator. You've seen what happens. The same thing that happened to the Rams. The same thing that happened to the Dolphins. The same thing that happened to the Seahawks. Just don't do that thing. Bad things will happen to you as a defensive coordinator if you continually bring man coverage against Josh Allen. So maybe don't do that. Speaking of the Miami game, we have a new question to be brought forth to Bills Mafia. Was the game against Seattle Josh Allen's best game? I took a poll on Twitter specifically asking the question, what was the best game that Josh Allen had? That poll got 1,092 votes and 88.6% of you said the game against Seahawks week nine, 2020, that just happened, was Josh Allen's best game. I've clearly never had a problem before going against the grain, and I'm going to do it again. 11.4% of you said the Dolphins game week two of 2020 was Josh Allen's best game. And I think 11.4% of you are right. The game against Miami was still better than the game against the Seahawks. And I'll tell you why. It's really important when we're having this discussion that we separate out the impact of the game from the play in the game. The impact of the win versus the play in the win. This was probably a more impactful win for the fan base. The fans probably feel different because of what a good team the Seahawks are and what a good quarterback Russell Wilson is. And Josh Allen absolutely, 100%, unequivocally outplayed Russell Wilson. He absolutely did. But let's take a look back at that Miami game, if you will. First, let's look quantitatively. Against Miami, Josh Allen was 24 of 35 which is 68.57%. For 415 yards, four touchdowns. Quarterback rating of 146. He was sacked one time for a loss of four yards. His yards per attempt were 11.86. He had four rushes for 19 yards. It was a good game. Against Seattle, he was 31 of 38, which is 81.58% completion percentage for 415 yards and three touchdowns. For a rating of 138.5. Sacked seven times for 28-yard loss. Yards per attempt was 10.92. Now, quantitatively, there was a better passer rating, even though there was a lesser completion percentage, because the yards per attempt were higher, and he threw four touchdowns instead of three. Well, Bruce, he ran for touchdown too. I understand that. Ran for touchdown two. Roughly the same amount of yards, so if you would have thrown it in instead of run it in, Bruce, it would have been better. Okay, well, that would have been close. That would have made it close quantitatively. Now let's talk about qualitatively. The types of throws that Josh Allen made during the Miami game were better than the types of throws he made during the Seattle game. Go back and watch the Miami game. I did it in preparation for this podcast. There was a lot of film to get through yesterday for Tape Tuesday. The vertical shots were there for Josh Allen against Miami. They were not there for him against Seattle. Seattle showed more patience. There was more dynamism to the Miami game. Some of the throws to Stephon Diggs, the game-ending clinching throw to John Brown over the top. There were some really impressive individual throws from Josh Allen. Against Miami. And after watching it back, I'm convinced still that week two against Miami was Josh Allen's best game ever. Every type of throw he was making against a markedly better secondary and defense than Seattle. I understand, and I will agree with you, that the impact of the Seattle win may have been bigger qualitatively for the fan base. But that's not what I'm talking about. You have to be able to separate out the impact of the win from the play in the win. And I still say the Miami Dolphins game was better. Stick with me. We're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come right back, jump right back into it. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive, of Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. You know, we all walked into the Seahawks game talking about how the Buffalo Bills needed to pass the ball. That it was really important that the Buffalo Bills pass the ball. It was all over Bill's Twitter. I did an article about it on buffalorumblings.com, and a podcast on it, multiple other Bill's media members and content creators, all said, hey, this is the time for Josh Allen to get that mojo back in the passing game. There seems to be one person, a very important person, who didn't get that memo, and that was Seahawks head coach, Pete Carroll who said after the game that they never expected Buffalo to just basically abandon the run. He said they needed to adapt better when that happened. So let me get this straight. Pete Carroll did not expect the Bills to go pass heavy against the worst professional football pass defense in the history of professional football pass defenses. No, no, that's just what they'll be expecting us to do. What? What? This is the reason why I said on my head coach tiering podcast that Pete Carroll was a reasonable head coach, and that was it. Pete Carroll did not expect the Bills to do the thing that every single team should do against the Seahawks until they prove they can stop it, which is pass the ball. Good for Sean McDermott, good for Brian Dable not overthinking that. Brian Dable said, You know, we didn't actually plan to be that pass heavy. Like it was going to be a little bit better, but it was working, so we went with it. That's the right mentality. Come in with a plan. If it works, keep doing it. It's a little bit like food. I'll try anything once, twice if I like it. That's the Bruceism coming along with food. Hey, Bruce, what about this? Sure. I'll try it once. I'll try anything once, twice if I like it. If it works, go with it. But there are more storylines to get to than just that. How about Tremaine Edmonds, ladies and gentlemen? Showing up and playing his best game of the season, and it wasn't close. Leslie Frazier has come out and said his shoulder is as close to 100% as it's going to be. Which means moving forward, unless he re-injures it, that's no longer an excuse anymore. It might be a minor factor, but I would expect to see Tremaine Edmonds play better moving forward. And he's going to need to because Matt Milano is on injured reserve and won't be back until a couple weeks after the bye. Offensive line depth is at a premium in the NFL. It is really problematic to be able to find offensive linemen in the league. Teams are going through problems, and the Buffalo Bills had three separate offensive linemen go out for this game. Mitch Morse was down. Cody Ford went down. Daryl Williams went down. Feliciano stepped in at center. Ike Butker was there at left guard. Ty Secchi jumped in at right tackle. And the Bills kept on chugging. Yes, Josh Allen was sacked seven times. That is more about Josh Allen than it is about the offensive line. This is a brucism that we should probably talk about. A big part of sacks is the quarterback. This idea that because someone takes sacks, it automatically means the offensive line was bad is not necessarily true. If you have a four-man protection... And they bring five men and the fifth man gets home. That's not the offensive line, ladies and gentlemen. That's the quarterback. A lot of times that's the offensive coordinator too. Not all sacks are the offensive line's fault. One of the things that's interesting about the way that our opinions and beliefs on football have evolved over the years is understanding that sacks are frequently the quarterback's fault. And so sack percentage and sacks taken has now started to become more of a quarterback stat than an offensive line stat. Now there are going to be circumstances where it's the offensive line's fault. Please don't misunderstand me. I am not saying it's entirely a quarterback stat. I don't think wins are a quarterback stat. So I certainly don't think sacks are entirely a quarterback stat, but they're a chunk quarterback fault. In a lot of cases. So O-line depth needs a little bit of praise here. The Bills did not flip an offensive lineman in camp the way that they did last year. And it is starting to pay dividends for them now. Jerry Hughes, take a bow. Sack fumble. On fourth and goal, he was the one who reigned in Russell Wilson, which is not an easy task to do, given the caliber of athlete that Russell Wilson is, caused him to chuck that up and Jordan Poyer to get the interception. A sack fumble on a tear recently when it comes to pressures and sacks essentially took over the Jets game and now is still playing like his hair's on fire. So good for Jerry Hughes. The man of the hour. The probable AFC defensive player of the week, if Josh Allen didn't get offensive player of the week, was AJ Klein. Now, let's talk about AJ Klein. I mentioned previously that they blitzed him 17 times, which is a lot. And he was a big part of their zone blitz pressure package. Say that five times fast. AJ Klein. Wasn't markedly better than he has been the last couple of weeks. He got a chance to be a free rusher a couple times, which is good. But if you can run in a straight line and hit a quarterback, that's pretty much the base level I expect from an NFL linebacker. Can you run in a straight line and hit a stationary target when they're not looking at you? In addition, the second sack that he got credited with might get taken away from him. From a statistical correction thing, we'll see. But Russell Wilson kind of tripped over AJ Klein's foot. So, yeah, technically he gets credit for that sack. But he just ran straight into a running back in pass protection. And then as Russell Wilson was bailing out the right side, he tripped over AJ Klein's foot. The best play that AJ Klein made... Was third and one stopping the ball right before the fourth and one where Jerry Hughes reined in Russell Wilson and he threw a pick to Jordan Poyer. That was the best play. That drive ends differently if AJ Klein doesn't fill that hole and make a tackle. But having AJ Klein as a blitzer is a good way to use his aggressiveness and physicality without running into his range issues and tackling problems and coverage issues. That seemed to have plagued AJ Klein. So it was a good usage of AJ Klein, but AJ Klein himself wasn't actually markedly better at doing linebacker things than he had been the last couple of weeks. So I would not anticipate that suddenly this is going to be a turning over a new leaf for AJ Klein. He's going to become a valuable contributor on defense. You know who is? a valuable contributor? Andre Roberts. Do I really have to say it again? Yeah, you know what? I'm going to. I don't even know if I have to. I just like to Andre Roberts is a valuable member of this team. And I'm really glad we didn't cut him. That's it. That's all. That's it for Andre Roberts. I've said everything I need to say on Andre Roberts, but that means there's one last thing to talk about. And it's that delicious heaping helping of plurality pie. That's right. Ladies and gentlemen, the thing we all wait for coming hot and fresh out of the kitchen. To sit on the windowsill and cool is the plurality pie. The plurality pie, for those of you who aren't familiar, is Bruce slicing out pieces of the pie to give credit for a win or blame for a loss. And the first and biggest piece of plurality pie goes to Josh Allen, 42%. If there was a game where you think wins are a quarterback stat... This might have been one of them. This might have been ones where you think so. I would argue the defense really helped with four turnovers. But you might think out there, you might be one of those people who doesn't believe me that wins aren't a quarterback stat. And you might want to assign this one to Josh Allen. But I'm assigning him 42% of the pie. Brian Dable gets 26%. As previously mentioned, came in with a good game plan, adjusted. What more do you want? The initial game plan was good, then they pivot, and you pivot. It's like rock, paper, scissors. The game continues. I go rock, they go paper, I go scissors, they go rock. That's what game planning is, to a large extent, simplified by Bruce. Tremaine Edmonds, 8% all over the field. The length was real for Tremaine Edmonds in coverage. Played the run better, Tackles for loss. Tremaine Evans looked like he was back. AJ Klein gets 6%. AJ Klein gets 6% because although I will openly admit, as I previously just did, that I don't think AJ Klein was markedly better at doing linebacker things, he did make important plays for this team. He gets 6%. Jerry Hughes gets 6%. I'm really glad we extended Jerry Hughes when we did. He is still a good pass rusher. He is closing in on being one of those players that's an all-time Buffalo Bill. Very quietly, he's closing in on being an all-time Buffalo Bill. A wall of fame kind of player for the Buffalo Bills. Andre Roberts gets 4%. Trey White gets 4%. Instincts are real in corners. Trey White had the foresight to know that it was third and very long and the receiver he was on was not running a pattern that was in danger of giving up the first down. As such, he felt reasonable to bail on that pattern to undercut a route to DK Metcalf to make an interception. That's situational awareness. That's intelligence, which is a big part of playing in the secondary. Travis White didn't get to be a valedictorian just for no reason. He's got the brains to play well in zone coverage. He's got the brains to play well in pattern match. He can understand situations and make specific calls based on situational awareness, which is what he did. And he needs credit for it. 4%, Trey White. 4% goes to other. Everybody else will lump in there. It was tough. There were a lot of individual plays. Jordan Poyer is in there. Micah Hyde was in there. Former Seahawk Quentin Jefferson was in there. But that, ladies and gentlemen, is the plurality pie. Josh Allen, 42%. Brian Dable, 26%. Tremaine Edmonds, 8%. AJ Klein, 6%. Jerry Hughes, 6%. Andre Roberts, 4%. Trey White, 4%. Other 4%. And I managed to get it all done in roughly half an hour. How about that? Tomorrow, come back, we are going to preview... The Cardinals spent a lot of time watching Cardinals film. I've got some things to say about Kyler Murray, this Cardinals team, specifically this Cardinals offense, and what the Bills can do. We're also going to take your almighty takes tomorrow. And until then, that's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan, Buffalo Ruppers.